all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Yeah. I'm Rachel. And I'm tired. I mean, I'm David. <laughs> and this is All Bad Things. <laughs> yes, you did just work three long days in a row, so. Yes. But. But I have a, I have my <laughs> national. Okay there? Okay. I had to think what I call it for a second. <laughs> I have my national local beer by my side. And my wife, of course. Mm-hmm. So. Yep, in but that I, order. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but you are going to Green Bay this weekend. Uh, I will be flying to Arkansas to visit one of my buddies tomorrow morning. So That's Friday, the Friday before this mm-hmm. comes out. So by the time we'll, we'll not get to sleep in tomorrow, but No. By the time people are listening to this, you'll be hungover. Probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Most likely. Yeah. <laughs> So I will be in Green Bay on Sunday. Yes. I'm very excited. This is one of the, in my top three stadiums that I have to go to list. This is probably number three. I think Wrigley is number one. Oh. Fenway is number two. Mm-hmm. But this is I have three. I have seen the outside of both Wrigley and Fenway. I have not been inside either. Never seen either of them. Never even seen them, like, up close. Nothing. Yeah. So, but this will be pretty cool to uh, go to. And, of course, my team, the Buffalo Bills, will probably get shredded. But that's, hey. <laughs> but that's okay. Maybe maybe we'll find some people to some other Bills fans to hang out with and we can yeah. crash through a table or something <laughs> while we're there. Well what we can do today to make you feel a little better is talk about a disaster worse than the Bills. <laughs> that's that'd be quite the disaster. You don't even want me to go into the history of the Bills. <laughs> well, so it's actually I chose this week's disaster based on the fact that you are going to a sporting event this weekend. I wisely chose not a plane crash because that would be awful. I'm still going to think about the plane crash and alive (laughs) when I'm on the plane anyway. That's just that's just where my mind goes for some reason. But uh, But so with that hint, what do you think we might what territory or to give you another hint? What territory do you think we're? delving into. Are we doing um, the Netflix documentary one? Hillsborough? Hillsborough. No. Oh. We're doing Hillsborough in April. I'm hoping. Oh, okay. Because that's going to be the 30th anniversary. Oh, that's right. That's mm-hmm. right. Of the wow. 96 people who died at Hillsborough. Yes. In 1989 was yes. 30 years ago. Yes, it April. was. Holy yes, it was. Shit. I don't want to know that. <laughs> I don't want to admit to that. <laughs> but this week we're actually covering a lesser known Stadium disaster, football stadium, as in soccer. Football oh, okay. Stadium disaster. So, um, this is the story of the Bradford City Stadium fire. Oh, another fire! Yeah, at a stadium. Uh, it's both. It's the best. It's the worst of both worlds. Jesus, I guess so. Okay. <laughs> both football and fires. Yes. On May eleventh, nineteen eighty-five. 
A fire at the Bradford City football, I mean, soccer to us Americans, stadium killed 56 people and injured over 250 others. Shit. Yeah. So first off. Oh, man. Gotta give a shout out to our listener, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Tell me if I'm not. Alcinder. It's A-L-C-I-N-D-E-R. Alcinder. Alcinder. Uh, Lou Alcinder, who later oh. became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, oh. spelled it almost the same way, except for, did you say it ended with E-R? Yes. His ended with O-R, but it oh, was okay. pronounced, pronounced Alcinder. Alcinder, okay. Mm-hmm. All right, so. Um, anyway, Alcinder suggested this topic uh, because it's basically like the... It kind of got lost to his, not it lost, but you know, like a lot of people for, like internationally have heard of Hillsborough, but but this one might be a more a little more localized to, to the UK because it plus, was eclipsed by Hillsborough. I was going to say, plus Hillsborough happened in 1989. Yes, so a few years it, later, a worse death toll. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So, and that was in Sheffield, England in 1989. So, yeah. And yes, we are going to cover that. Um, my plan is for April, but, uh, so don't watch the documentary, wait for us to cover it. That way you, <laughs> you might still be disappointed, but not as disappointed <laughs> as if you watch the documentary and then listen to that us. That was a really good documentary. Yes. Very good documentary. Um, so let's set the stage for this disaster. So as we know, football is a big freaking deal everywhere except here <laughs> in the United States. It's got, I mean, I think soccer's place, uh, football, I'm going to call it soccer just for clarity. Uh, soccer's place in the United States, like most kids play soccer at some point. Like that's super common now. A ton now. of kids do, yeah. Um, and there is, there are football clubs. We have a local football club. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just called. I, I played it for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, adult leagues and stuff. Yeah. Um, what's I, our? I, I played poorly, but I still played. <laughs> uh, you were goalie. Yes, I was. Our football club are they just the North Carolina F- mm-hmm. FC NCFC? Yeah. They were. Um, yeah, they had a name. Uh, God, what were they? I, anyway, I don't remember. But now they are North Carolina F- FC. Yeah, North and, Carolina Football Club. And we have a women's soccer mm-hmm. team as well, the Courage. Mm-hmm. Um, who I've actually seen play. You have. At, uh, at, uh, 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 <laughs> that was really weird. <laughs> that was a lot of stuttering. Um, from the like nice box where you get free food and shit. It was nice. So this deadly match on May 11th, 1985, took place at a football stadium currently known as Northern Commercials Stadium. So the stadium is still around, but like most stadiums, it's... Its naming rights have changed. Over oh, sure. The years, so. And I'm sure they've done. I'm sure they did construction right after this happened, and I'm sure they've since probably upgraded. Yeah, we'll things. definitely get into yeah. that. Yes. Uh, at the time, the stadium was called Valley Parade, which sounds like a, a very 1950s name somehow. A bit, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and I and I'm going to keep calling it Valley Parade because that's what it was known at the time. So, Valley Parade is located in Bradford, West Yorkshire, England. So, for our geography corner, Bradford is located very central England, east to west, and in kind of like the northern third or so of the country. I don't know if that's technically considered the north of England or what. Our British listeners can let us know. Uh, It's part of the greater area of Leeds, which you've probably heard of. 
It's about 65 kilometers, which is 40 miles, northeast of Manchester, where Daphne Moon was from. I've been watching a lot of Frasier. And 107 kilometers, or about 67 miles, northeast of Liverpool, which we've all heard of. I, it's on the West Coast. I'm pretty sure Leeds United is, a, is an English Premier League team. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're going to... So, we're going to get into the league system, and hopefully you can help me out on some. I actually... I, I will not be able to, really. Okay. It's confusing as hell. Okay. All right. Well... So, we'll, we'll, we'll delve into this together. Yes. Yes. <laughs> So this stadium, Brad, well, Valley Parade, goes way back. It was built in 1886. Wow. So it was built almost 100 years before this disaster, almost exactly 100 years before this disaster. The stadium was initially built for rugby and was the home of the Manningham <coughs> Football Club. No. I skipped a sentence, damn it. Okay. No, that's okay. Um... Okay, so that's all true, but just factoid, (laughs) um, the stadium is so old, it's older than the city of Bradford itself, which received its charter in 1897, so just sprinkle that in. All right, so it was the original home of the Manningham Football Club, which had been founded in 1880, so they founded this football club, this rugby football club in 1880, they built a stadium for them a few years later. And Manningham FC started out in the Rugby Football Union, but in 1895 they broke off from the Rugby Football Union and became a founding member of the Northern Rugby Football Union, which later became the Rugby Football League. I'm sure if someone tried to explain American football like I can give you a whole legacy that would be I can give you a whole breakdown of the AFL merging with the NFL. Sure. Also, with the NHL expansion, mm-hmm. I have no fucking clue <laughs> about the rugby football league or the the what the rugby league. Of yeah, gentlemen. so it was it was <laughs> it was the rugby football union, then the Northern Rugby Football Union, then the rugby. F- I put Ruby. Ruby. <laughs> rugby football league. Unfortunately, uh, Manningham FC started falling on rough times. Not not doing so great um, financially speaking. And by 1903, the only thing that kept the team afloat was holding an archery tournament. So they were just, like, bleeding money at that point. Were, were they holding it during a match? <laughs> That's a good question. I doubt it. That would have made it really exciting. <laughs> I would have paid money for that. <laughs> Can you imagine if they were... <laughs> it was the fucking late 1800s. They, they might have. have. <laughs> yeah. They could have been. Who knows? Well, no, it's early 1900s, but still, yeah. Either way. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, in May 1903, this I find really fascinating. They decided to switch trajectories. They turned the team from a rugby football team to association football, which is soccer. Okay. So they switched sports entirely from rugby to soccer. And at that point, they became... And they kept the archers. (laughs) That's what they're known as, the mighty archers. Mm -hmm. At that point, they became the Bradford City Association Football Club. So, okay. Bradford City AFC. I thought that was really interesting. Like, that, just that they switched sports entirely. I mean, it well, was... Well, the, here's the, the thing that confuses me a little bit, although I'm sure Europeans feel the same way about our sports teams' names. North American sports teams have either the name of a city or a region or a state... Yeah, you know, uh-huh, one of right. those three, mm-hmm. you know, New England or Miami Carolina, or Carolina. Yeah, uh-huh. um, 
and then a nickname like the Falcons or a, a Cardinals name, yeah, or yeah. you know. With all of the European leagues and stuff, because I've played a lot of FIFA games, there's no. Sometimes a team has just, like just the nickname only, like Lions FC. Oh, huh. Or sometimes they're just Manchester United. See, that's I've, I've know, not, I, I hadn't heard of just ones with the nicknames. Like I always thought it yes, was like Liverpool, Man United. No, that's all the European, but like in the South American leagues and stuff oh, like that. Oh, they have different. They, they usually have, or not usually, sometimes have a nickname, and that's what they're known by. Like, do you think it's just colloquial though? Maybe their probably. official name is actually their region. Something, but I've never understood it. Like, because yeah. to me, it's like. Well, where are you from, <laughs> then, if you're just right. the Lions? Or if yeah. it's just, like, Man- Manchester United, like, what? Like, mm-hmm. Fighting Falcons? Like, <laughs> fl- like what are you? The Flying Falcons. Like, they're missing a nickname. Yeah. Then. So that's always been... In the FC, I didn't um, know this until I played the FIFA games for the first time and, and lived with one of my best friends who was from Mexico City. He's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that means football club. Yeah, And I'm yeah. like, oh. <laughs> Pardon me? I'm just cracking open a green man, which is out of Asheville here. The Dweller Imperial Stout. It's a 10%er, so. Uh Uh-oh. I will drink slowly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so I I refer, I think, a couple of times in here to Bradford City as the Bradford City AFC, which is Mm -hmm. Association Football Club. Okay. Um, But, yeah, I just thought it was... It's it's very, uh, very European. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting that they just switched sports entirely. I mean, can you imagine if the Bills turned into a soccer team? I mean, it's just... They, they or might be better. A, well... <laughs> <laughs> you may have a Who point. Who knows? <laughs> so, now we're going to get into the, <laughs> into the English soccer league, the so football league system. It's a big tangle. I hope I'm getting it right. There's a little bit of guesswork in I, here. I honest to God won't be able to check you because I really don't know. Oh, well, I'm hoping that our British listeners will chime in. Maybe Akshay can help us out too. I should, You know what I should have asked Akshay? I don't know if he's into football or not, but... Um, he's British. He, he's British, he and I he's a and British, know him. He's so. a young British male who plays video games. Of course he's into football. <laughs> so, all right. So the league system, and this is all just from what I could gather from, like, Wikipedia and shit. So in England, they don't just have, like, I keep equating it to the NFL. I feel really bad for doing it, but it's just, like, taking England's most popular sport and our most popular sport and kind of comparing them. But unlike, and and this could actually be applied to most of our leagues, so we do have, like, a minor league system. Yes. And farm teams and stuff like that in some sports. Here in for, the US. For soccer, baseball, and hockey. Hockey. Yeah. And there is not, a, there is a minor professional system. Right. Whereas like the, the Durham Bulls. Yes. Whereas the NBA and NFL rely on college. Yes. Which is that's not, where they source their talent. Which is yeah. not a professional system. Right. Well, to, it's not technically. It's not a professional system to the people who actually play it. Because when they get caught being professional, they get you know. Oh, yeah. They, they get punished for yes. it, yes. But in exactly. all of our other major sports, there are professional leagues below the top league. Meant to cultivate talent yes. for them. Yes. And you still get paid being a professional athlete. Right. Well, from what I can tell, the English league isn't like that. <laughs> um, no, I've, I've heard it's got some... I, there, it's, it's kind of like a pyramid system, meaning... Um, but there's like so the, the Premier League is mm-hmm. like the top. That's the pros, top league. The absolute top pros. 
and then below that is the English Football League Championship. Okay. Oh, so first of all, Premier League has 20 teams. Then the English Football League Championship has 24. Okay. Then English Football League 1 has 24. League 2 has 24. Then the National... And we're going from top to bottom. And these are all professionals, correct? Yes, they, they these all are get all paid. professional yes. league, yeah. yeah. National League, which has 24 teams. National League North and National League South, which have 22 teams and are actually on the same level. And then there are a few other... T- like, two or three tiers lower than that that have multiple teams. So I didn't list them out. Uh, so so it, it seems... It sounds to me that every... English Premier League team has a sub team in just about every so region of Europe. That's what you would think, but you know what? What? No, not at all. Okay. First of all, it's not Europe. It's this is all English. Oh, okay. This is that's, all that, that is England. true. It is England. That's this right. It's all England. Second of all, I'm, I'm thinking of the UEFA Cup. I'm sorry, actually, <laughs> that is that is a different thing. Okay. Second of all, they're all in competition with each other. Because none of them are guaranteed a spot in their league. That's right. Because the bottom four or bottom they can be they can yes. be promoted or, or um, sent what's back. The word I read it like multiple times. Uh, relegated or oh, something. Okay. I think yeah. they call it relegated. So yeah, they can be contracted promoted or I think they called it right re- relegated. Oh, okay. But but yeah, it's an we, idea. You can climb up or down the ladder. In our in our sporting terminology, we would call that contraction. Okay, but yeah. none of them, the teams don't do that here. Like players. No, no can. it very rarely happens, but it does happen occasionally where where teams will no. dissolve into others. But, but that's, I know that's, but I know, that's a business transaction. Right. We're talking about this is the structure of the sport. I'm just saying, like that would be our equivalent because well, we don't really have. It's something not like even this. an equivalent because that's a business move. That's like a merger or acquisition or something. This yes, I, I will not argue with you with the uh, <laughs> financial stuff. But but this is, like, basically the top 20 teams are in the Premier League. And you can lose that spot and get relegated to a lower league. You can get promoted up and into it. And you can it. gain it back. And yes. And it, it changes. But there are certain teams that will never lose their spot. Like, really. Well, because they're good. Yeah. Because they're like just Like Manchester really United and Liverpool. Liverpool. I've heard of, I know. Um, Shout out to Moira and Rich. Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Um... Leeds, apparently. <laughs> Leeds United, I believe, is is a team. I'm trying to think uh, anyway. And Bradford City. And Bradford City. I don't I'm, know what I'm they're to, in now. I'm trying but... to think of my, my FIFA teams. <laughs> <laughs> so the, all those names that I gave, like Premier League, blah, 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 um, those are all the names now. Okay. But back at this point, like things have gotten restructured over the years. It was a different system. No, Back it wasn't then. a different system. They had different names. Oh, okay. Like, and and the leagues have changed over the years. So, so a, uh, Bradford AFC is currently part of English Football League One, which is the third level. Okay. So, that's where they are now. All right. Shall we continue on with the disaster? So Valley Parade. <laughs> the, the disaster so far has been this podcast, but that's okay. that's okay. Valley Parade was pretty bare bones for a stadium when it was first built for Manningham. I mean, it was built in, like, 1886, so clearly. It had a capacity of 18,000, and, yeah. Wow, pretty, in yeah. 1886, oh, yeah. okay. I mean, but we're talking football. Sure. It, it, those are big stadia. Yeah, stadia. <laughs> stadia. 
Um, but the and the spectator stands weren't covered, which I wouldn't think would be a huge shock back then. No. It was built into the side of the of a hill, and the entrances to the stands were at the back of the stadium and stood higher than the rest of the yeah, stadium. So that makes sense. Some, yeah. When Manningham switched from rugby to association football, they didn't really make any changes to the ground. In fact, not a lot changed about the stadium at all until 1908, when Bradford City's wins promoted them to Division One, which at the time was like the top tier. Okay. So at that point, they had they were able to upgrade the stadium. Obviously, the better you do, the more money you got coming in, the more you can do to upgrade your team or, or your team's stadium. So they completed those upgrades in 1911, and the upgrade added a new stand for an additional 5,300 fans and a standing area for another 7,000. So the capacity at this point was like 30,000. That was just, yeah, okay, Mm -hmm. yep. However, average attendance for the season in which this disaster occurred was 6,600. So this was a gigantic stadium for, yeah, not proportionally not as many people. So it's a, a fifth of the people are showing up. Of capacity, yeah. yeah, yeah. Now, I couldn't find anything that said that the capacity changed before 1985, but I will say the film didn't make it look as though it was that bare. And yeah, we'll get into the whole film thing. Okay. Yeah, but um, so it's possible the capacity was brought down before then. I'm not really sure. Anyway... Over the years, there had been some touch-ups to the ground, so between this upgrade in 1911 and 1985, but nothing at all changed about the stands when okay. up, up until 1985. So we're talking like these original I'm gonna 1880s guess, or 1900 or 1911. I a lot of it was wood. Yes, it was. Yeah. That because they important. because they wouldn't have been using concrete at that time would have been very expensive or steel like yeah they wouldn't have been using or they would not have been using steel mm-hmm. in, in the late 1800s at all if they did a facelift at some point possibly right but, right. Um, but they hadn't I mean right. they did in the early 1900s but but see this was part I mean we're gonna get into all of the issues but. There were concerns about the fact that yes, these were still very I'm, old stands. I'm sure, like it's, and I'm sure the wood was treated as by being treated, meaning like ready to install in, in a way where it could easily catch fire because nobody knew. That's just my guess, but anyway. So it was a, like fucking <laughs> tinder, just waiting. Mm. You basically have hit the nail on the head. Yes. A sports historian named Simon Inglis and a city council, no, sorry, county council engineer, both voiced their concerns to the owners of Bradford City about the outdated structure of the stands, as well as the fact that there was litter building up under the wooden seats that was not getting cleared out. So we see where this is going, right? Oh, yeah. In July 1984, so almost a year before the fire, the county council specifically wrote a letter to the stadium saying, quote, a carelessly discarded cigarette could give rise to a fire risk, end quote. And basically, it's like a fucking crystal ball as to what's about to happen. So It's probably to certain people, like uh, like fire marshals and stuff like that, like very obvious, like what could happen. 
Oh, well. Jesus. In later interviews, uh, the Bradford City AFC vice chairman, Jack Tordoff, stated that the reason they didn't take the warnings to heart and make, like, immediately resolve the issue was because of what he called, quote, the culture of those days, meaning that safety standards were less rigorous. The club had also fallen on hard times at that point. If they can't have somebody clean the stadium. Well, in 1983, the club had fallen into receivership. Ah, Ah, you remember that? We Googled that. Yes, we did. Because we were watching, what were we watching? One of those Netflix house building shows. It was the one where the construction company went into receivership. Right. And they were already. And they were in the middle. They had like just done like the electrical stuff. And dug into that whole ground and then just. Gone. Just the construction was brought to an absolute halt. For four months. So, so receivership, as we discovered, is basically when a company is taken over by, like, a custodian or a guardian because, like, they're kind of insolvent. They can't... It's kind of like a bankruptcy-type situation. They can't properly manage their assets or obligations, so somebody has to manage it for them. Uh, And uh, it was bought shortly after that by Stafford Hagenbotham. Higginbotham? It's H-E-G-I-N-B-O-T-H-A-M. Yes. Higginbotham. I went to uh, high school with a Higginbotham. Really? Yes, I did. Spelled exactly that way? Mm-hmm. Yep. I How swear to bizarre. God. How bizarre. I know. I've heard of Higginbotham. Yeah. With Higginbotham. Betsy. Betsy Higginbotham. Be- mm-hmm. <laughs> Shout out to Betsy. I haven't, couldn't tell you where <laughs> she is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I haven't seen her since high school, but yes, that's how I knew that name. I'm sure she appreciates us shouting out. Higginbotham. Higginbotham. Wouldn't it be hysterical if she, like, wound up listening somehow? Mm-hmm. Like, I thought it was that idiot <laughs> from Messina that I knew back in the day. Drop us a line, Betsy. So, uh, because of the, the problems with the receivership being bought, uh, expensive stadium upgrades weren't exactly front of mind at that point for the club even though they were desperately needed, clearly. In the 1984-85 football season, right around the time I was making my premiere, uh, Bradford <laughs> Bradford City was killing it. So they did really well in that season. They went on a 13-game winning streak at the end of 1984. Now the rest of their record <laughs> is a little hard to understand because, again, Association Football League structure, but... This is where I get into a lot of, like, guesswork. From what I could tell, they clinched, like, some sort of playoff-type win that guaranteed them a promotion. Um, Though they were already in the top tier. I don't know. Some good shit happened for Bradford City AFC that year. So, as a result, the stadium was finally okayed to get a big upgrade after the season ended. Uh, it would run about 400,000 pounds in cost, which I did not translate because we're not only talking about translating from pounds to dollars, but like historical inflation costs and what was the rate of exchange back then. Uh, it was too much, so I didn't bother. <laughs> and people were just like, what? <laughs> it's a lot of money. Rate of exchange? It's a lot of money, I'm sure. I mean, 400,000 pounds today is like a, a million dollars. U.S. and this this was thirty plus years ago, almost thirty five years ago. Mm-hmm. So this was several million, I would guess. Yeah. 
There was to be a bunch... It wasn't cheap. Right. But probably necessary. Well, yes. There was to be a bunch of safety work done, steel installed on the roof, because there were roofs by this point, whenever the stands, and the wooden stands were going to be replaced with concrete. In fact... Wow, did I have my crystal ball or what? (laughs) Well... Here's the sad part of it. Yeah, none of those things happened. Yeah. The stands were scheduled to be torn down hmm. on May 13th, 1985. This happened May 11th. Oh, Jesus. So, yeah. All right, so are we ready for the fire? Your favorite part? Your least favorite part? Yes. So, on May 11th, 1985, or if I were to say this in the British manner, May 11th, 1985... That was a terrible accent. I apologize. <laughs> uh, Bradford City was to play its final game of the season against the Lincoln City FC. Um, <laughs> Lincoln, Football club. Yes, Lincoln City FC is a club charmingly nicknamed the Imps. Uh, after okay, isn't that um, a little person? No. A midget is imp. <laughs> No, to be impish is to be like a little, it's like a little devil, like a little demon type thing. Oh, okay. But you keep saying little, so that's why I have... (laughs) But little people aren't imps. I'm just saying, I think that's what they were called like 500 years ago. I I hear that in Game of Thrones. (laughs) Oh, that's horrible. (laughs) Yes. Against uh, Peter Dinklage's character? Mm -hmm. Call him an imp? Mm -hmm. That's mean. Or the half man. Oh, that's... That's, That's even worse, I think. Yeah, yeah, that is. I don't is. know, those are both pretty bad. Well, anyway, <laughs> the imps that's, are named... That's, that's my association with it. Anyway. <laughs> all, all I'm picturing now is Peter Dinklage. <laughs> the imps are named after the legend of the Lincoln Imp, a demon that was turned into stone by an angel. So, that's an interesting little story. But then again, we have the blue, the Bluke Dew Devils. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Shit. The Duke, the Duke Blue, Blue Devils, Devils. Which, it, which are um, skiing snipers, so who are we to judge? True. All right. <clears throat> so before the match... Oh, I said match instead of game. Mm. How about that? That's the proper terminology, right? It, it is. Okay. Uh, there was a ceremony of presenting a trophy... Sorry, not positive what it was for, but whatever good shit was happening that season. It was for something good. Yeah. Uh, to the maybe, Brad- maybe the promotion? Yeah, yeah, probably. Even though they were already in the highest tier, I don't know. Who knows? Uh, they presented the trophy to the Bradford captain, Peter Jackson. No relation that I'm aware of. Not the film director. Because the season had ended so well, and because of the ceremony, more people were there than average. About double. So instead of 6,600, which was the season average, the crowd was up to 11,076 people. Okay. In spite of the very auspicious start to the day, the match began as what was described as, quote, a drab affair. <laughs> this is kind of a dull game. Yeah, neither team... As a lot of football matches can be. I, yeah. do, I do enjoy watching the World Cup. I'll watch, like, the English Premier League Championships, and I'll mm-hmm. watch, like, the UEFA Cup. Um, but that's... What is UEFA? You said that It's the times. United European... Football Association. It's oh, okay. all the best um, European clubs okay, gotcha. uh, playing against each other. Um, but yeah, sometimes I'll be watching <laughs> a game, a match, uh-huh. and about 20 minutes into it, I'm like, this is so fucking boring. <laughs> <laughs> 
why I can't so, watch baseball anymore. Oh, God. Baseball can be interminable. <laughs> so neither team was playing, you know, lights out, and neither had even in, been in a good position to score for, like, the first 40 minutes of the game. Um, but and, and that's always my thing, like, if there were shots on goal and stuff like that, right. it doesn't necessarily have to be, you don't have to score on every shot and stuff like but that. It's suspenseful it's, enough to kind of keep your interest. Right. Yeah. If that's happening somewhat consistently, I'm, yeah, I'm into it. But right. there's a lot of times that that's not happening. Right. And apparently this is one of those times. Unfortunately, uh, what was about to happen off the field was going to mm. bring a lot more attention to the match. So around 3.41 p.m. local time, the game started, I think, around 3, so this was about 40 minutes into the game. So they're almost at the end of the first half. Yeah, they were like five minutes away or, or so. Uh, I don't know because... Including stoppage oh, well, time. See, that's the weird, weird-ass <laughs> shit about... Oh, okay, never mind. Who I actually I understand that. Okay. Uh, so around so three, they were about five minutes away from yeah. the end of the first half. 3.41 p.m. local time. People in Block G... So that's a, that's a section of the stands that was near the corner. So it was on one of the long sides of the field, so not one of the goal ends, uh, but near a corner, near a goal end. So it was like, I, forget, I looked at a map, but it was like block, like say A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and G was the last one before the okay. the corner. Um, uh, so people people in that section of the stands started feeling their feet getting warmer. Oh, man. And started looking underneath them. Now, important to note, we already know that these are wooden stands, right? They're wooden stands without risers. So it's like bleachers where there's just the, the, um, the slats that are parallel to the ground and not the ones that are perpendicular to cover in between the steps. So that means you can look down onto the ground from from the stands. Around the same time, the TV commentator calling the game, John Helm, spotted a glowing light coming from the same area. And it didn't take long for it to become apparent that there was a fire underneath the stands. And yes, so this was 1985. I mentioned before, there is footage of the match and of all of this. You can find it on YouTube. It is readily available. Um, in the video, I saw, I, I'm guessing it was John Helm calling it, but I, I, I don't know for sure. Uh, anyway, the commentator said, quote, one hopes the stand doesn't burn down. Because this guy was calling the fire after a certain point, you know. He yeah. was calling a football match. Yes, he was. And then wound up calling... A disaster. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, one, well, well, we, we've all seen that before. Yes. And he was um, he was in the opposite side of the stands. And, yeah. One fan tried to find a fire extinguisher, but couldn't. A police officer on duty... There, there were... There was quite a police presence. Um, I imagine, at least it sure sounded like there was. And I imagine that was due to, like, crowd control, hooliganism, that were, sort of thing. It was I'm the last sure match they, of the season. Right. I'm sure that they knew that they were expecting a bigger crowd than usual. Yes. So, so they just wanted to keep everything under Probably control. wanted more security. I'm sure they still had security when there were sure. 6,000 people Absolutely, showing up. Absolutely, yeah. But. 
So a police officer on duty shouted to another officer for a fire extinguisher, but the other officer misheard him and thought he was just saying, call the fire department. So not the worst misinterpretation because the officer did call the fire department right away. And this was at 3.43 p.m. So this is like two minutes after people were starting to realize that there was a fire. By this time, smoke was clearly visible, and some of the fans started just moving directly onto the pitch. Now, sure. Now, important to note, and a very good thing in this case. You remember Hillsborough? Mm-hmm. Everybody got crushed up against the chain link fence in the a front. A lot of people did. There was no fence separating the stands and the pitch at Bradford City. That was so not, people could get onto the field. Yes, easy. it could have been much worse. <clears throat> Thankfully, a lot of people were able to escape onto the pitch. So, uh, one fan saw paper on fire a few inches under the floorboards of the stands. So to clarify, under the stands was just, like, the ground. Sure. And the first few stands were pretty close to it. Fucking filled with garbage, apparently. Yes. Yes. Um, So, yeah. Uh, Righty. So, and because there were no risers... That's why there was all that debris there, because the debris could just fall. If mm-hmm. somebody yeah. dropped a whatever package of something or a... Dropped an empty bag yes. of popcorn. Yes. Or a and pack I'm sure, of cigarette... I'm a, sure a there were... Empty cigarette packet or Thousands anything. of those. Yes. And I'm, they weren't I'm gonna keeping guess up they cleaning it. Popcorn at... Yeah. Something like football that. Football matches. Drink yeah. cups, whatever. God yeah. damn. By 3.44 p.m., the G block of stands was very clearly on fire, like up in flames on fire. So just a fucking minute later. Uh, oh, this... The, we'll talk about how quickly this happened, but yeah. Oh, I'm sure it... Yeah. The police started to evacuate everyone from the section as the, spire, fi, as the fire was spreading very quickly. In the words of one witness, Jeffrey Mitchell, quote, it spread like a flash. Of course, the match referee stopped the game. You know, they couldn't, <laughs> with people going onto the pitch, they couldn't keep playing, obviously. So, um, so here's where things get bad and do that awful perfect storm thing mm-hmm. that the bad disasters do. So, first off, as I mentioned, there was a ton of debris under the stands. So there's plenty of fuel for the fire, but also we are talking about a wooden structure. This is basically like a giant fireplace. Yeah, it's a fucking giant tinderbox. Kindling and yeah. and wood, and that that's the whole thing. Now, not only that, but the roof of the stand, also oh, made yeah. of wood. Remember okay. I said yeah, there was a roof? That's right. um, it was also made of wood, and it was also covered in a type of waterproofing called bituminous felt. So it's kind of like a tar paper, but... I don't know if it's bitumen or bitumen. Anyway, it can produce really toxic fumes and is highly flammable. So essentially, yes, Block G was a tinderbox, not only ready to go up in flames, but to produce horribly thick, toxic smoke. God. So it took less than... I hope that's how most of those people died. It took less than four minutes for the whole stand to just go up in complete flames. Like I said, the video is available to watch, and it is kind of shocking how quick it happens. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't literally, you know, like oh, there, it just, it just exploded. Four, but, four minutes. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But but yeah, it's just, it's just as you're watching it unfold, it's not like oh. 
okay, everybody evacuate, and we've got plenty of time and everything's fine. Like, this thing is growing very quickly in the meantime. It's like a fucking monster. Anyone who saw some smoke and was like, oh, shit, better, better get out of here. But if you were thinking that, you're like, okay, orderly and calm, you know, nice and you could just march everybody out of there. I'm honestly not sure that would have been fast enough because there, this thing just, I I, I don't know. It went up fast. Here's why I mentioned four minutes because our very first episode, the station, station, mm -hmm. we were talking about doing this type of podcast before I even, I didn't even know there was video of it until you told me. I'd never seen it. That's right. Watching that video was really. And then when I saw it, I was like, that fucking place just went up like nothing. And it it took them, it took the, it took the fire department. They get there in, in the video at like four minutes and one second. Mm -hmm. And And the the place, the place is gone. Mm -hmm. And you could tell by like some of the looks on their faces. They're like, what the fuck? Like, and you know, cause you can hear. Mm-hmm. Like, you know people are dead, so it's... Well, and the thing ugh. about this four minutes is that it took less than two minutes for it to go from, like, visible smoke to, to the to entire just... stands on on complete, oh. like, up in flames. God damn. Now, uh, an aggravating factor to all of this was that they had purpose... There were no fire extinguishers in the stand, and this was a purposeful thing. They removed them because they were afraid that hooligans would get a hold of them and start using them, like, in hooliganism. So, I mean, I get that, but what about an actual fucking fire with wooden stands and debris? I was going to say, that's a valid concern, but then just have backup fire extinguishers to put up for the next game, and if it... Or or just clean up your debris and cut down, like, get rid of those wooden stands, which, yes, they were planning to do. At least clean up your shit under them in the meantime. But anyway. Yeah, anytime I hear, because it happens occasionally where, like, the talking heads of sports journalism talk about uh, rowdy fans and stuff like that. I'm like, have you seen what happens (laughs) during a fucking, I'm like, nothing comes close. It's, it can be I'm like, have you seen what happens in the NFL even just like 30 years ago? Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, it's nothing today. There's security all over the place. Yeah. It's pretty, it's held pretty tight. I was at a game last year sitting in the sun in Mm. Charlotte, Mm -hmm. uh, Wherever I seem to oh, sit, that's right. <laughs> I'm just baking in the sun. Yeah. And all I did, because I was so damn hot mm-hmm. and just trying to... Stay cool. Yes. All I did was take my shirt off to put it on my head mm-hmm. to, like, kind of guard me from the sun. Not to, like, stand up and be like, yeah! Right. You, like, weren't, you weren't being rowdy. No. I would yeah. just put it on my head because I was so fucking hot. Mm-hmm. And within, like, 30 seconds, there was, like, so, some security guy, like, you got to put your shirt back on. I'm like... I'm like, I'm not trying to be, like, some drunk asshole. I'm like, I'm just hot. <laughs> yeah. But either way, he was like, well, you got to put it back on. Right, they were just... And yeah. I, I remember getting back to the hotel and taking a shower, like, a cold, on the oh, coldest level shower, and just seeing, like, the steam rise up <laughs> from my skin, and I was just like, hmm... Like, this is going to be, this is going to hurt in the next couple of days. I don't think you'll have to worry about that in Green Bay at the end of September. (laughs) Game time temperature will be a balmy 57 degrees. That's actually really nice. I like that. Bad for the end of September in Wisconsin. 
So the fire was not, obviously, it was not relegated to just a single block of stands. Hell no. The entire side of the stand, so the long side that it was on, started going up in smoke. Now, things got very intense as people panicked and climbed over the wall of the stands onto the pitch. Uh, Disturbingly, and yes, this is completely visible in the footage, some people were either smoking, like you could see smoke coming from them, or there were visible flames on them. Uh, Very, very disturbingly, uh, in this footage, you can see one man uh, completely engulfed in flames, just like kind of like almost zombie walking, because what could you be doing at that point? Like um, a Hollywood stunt that we've seen a lot of times, but... Except real. Mm-hmm. As people were trying to put out the fire on him, you know, like dampen the fire. Um, unfortunately, not unsurprisingly, he was one of the, the dead. Yeah. So now one good thing in this whole debacle was what I mentioned before. There weren't any fences separating the stands from the pit or the fans from the pitch. So it could have been way worse. It really could have been way worse because a lot of people, most of the people who got onto the pitch, escaped onto the pitch, survived. So that was that was the good news and kind of the only good news. Um, Because this was thought to have actually minimized the death death toll, which could have been way worse. But what didn't help was that most of, uh, in those stands, most of the doors at the back of the stands, remember I said the entrance was like at the back? Mm -hmm. Um, The turnstiles had been locked. And many of the doors that were exit had been either shut or locked. Now, some people did manage to bust through some of them, but there were some trampling incidents, and that's how some people died because of not being able to get out um, from the back. So some of those who made it onto the pitch, this is, again, visible in the footage, uh, started chanting and cheering. Um, my guess is because they didn't realize that this was a serious situation. They're just like, oh, the stands are burning, whatever. Everyone's everyone's gotten out. Um, my guess is some people just didn't notice that, no, not everybody got Nobody out. Nobody noticed the guy on fire who uh, everybody was trying to put out. I, I mean, sure. at least I would like to give the benefit of the doubt that it was because they didn't, they didn't yeah. really realize what was going I'm on. So sure it was. I hope it was. Yeah. Giant, giant plumes of very thick black smoke rose... It rose up into the air, like, again, the footage. This is all from the footage. And police and other spectators were, at this point, just dragging bodies out of the vicinity of the stands because anyone left there was not alive. The fire department arrived within four minutes of being called, so that's around 347. So they were quick. Uh, but because of how quickly the fire spread... It, this thing had just engulfed the whole side of the stands. So, and they couldn't start extinguishing the fire right, or the, right away because some people were still being pulled from the stands. True, yeah. So by the time the fire was put out and it was over, the entire main stand had been completely destroyed. And rescuers and police continued well into the night um, to work to recover all the bodies. So when it was all said and done, 56 people had died, with over 265 others sustaining injuries. 
Those who died did so from various causes. Um, About half died near the exit at the back of the stands, having been unable to escape in time. Some crushed. I imagine others dying from smoke inhalation. As we know, usually you die from smoke inhalation before burns, although apparently that did happen to some people too, like that man who was on fire. Two, this is a this is a sad it's mentioned in like every article about it but um a sad little note two elderly people died just sitting in the stands mm. they were still just seated whether they just didn't know in time or couldn't get away in time I don't know um or, some or both yeah some people didn't did survive initially and then died later in the hospital or in hospital. About half who died were either under age 20 or over 70. So, like, you know, the younger and the older, I'm imagining, because they couldn't rush out and kind of um, fight for their way out, I guess. Um, about half... Uh, I already said that. The oldest person to die was 86 years old. His name was Sam Firth, and he was a former chairman of Bradford City AFC. Oh, all right. Yeah, it wasn't. A, it's not a pretty story. Mm-hmm. The cause of the fire. So now we're getting into the investigation and the aftermath and all that. So the cause of the fire was quickly determined to be a cigarette. Someone had dropped on the floorboards to like stamp out with their foot, but it fell because there wasn't any risers into the debris, caught fire, and that was that was that. There's some controversy over who this smoker was. The football commentator, John Helm, that I mentioned earlier, said it was an Australian man visiting England. And 30 years later, in 2015, a retired detective inspector named Raymond Falconer said that, yes, an Australian man had admitted to accidentally starting the fire. And later that year, the press named the man as Eric Bennett. So they, they, they had a name for the guy and everything. Who was visiting England and went to the game with his nephew, Leslie Brownlee. Brownlee. However, Brownlee has said that it's all bullshit. And that Falconer was lying or completely misinformed. So as to who exactly started the fire, it actually still remains a bit of a mystery. And as we'll get to, there's even a little bit of controversy as to whether that was the actual cause. Anyway. I was thinking it seems really easy to blame it on somebody putting out a cigarette. That's that's just a well, thought that came through. Although it would be very easy for it to happen that way. I, I think it, it kind of comes down to two things. You're right that that seems like a convenient excuse. However... It seems like the most plausible way for that debris to have yeah. caught on fire. It's both. Aside from somebody deliberately setting it, yeah. which... Which it doesn't... They didn't seem to find any evidence mm. to, but, I mean, uh, certainly the fact that there was that debris... I mean, imagine if it was pretty clear under the stands. I mean, yeah, there'd be a couple of things from the match under there, but, you know, from the match that had already happened. But if it was cleared, if all the debris had been cleared, all the litter had been cleared, and somebody, and that happened to somebody, it would have gone on to just grass, right. you know, ground. And unless it was unusually dry, the cigarette would have just gone out. Yeah. I mean, and we're talking England, which isn't known for being dry and arid. So <laughs> it probably would have just gone out and nothing would have happened. Plus the wooden 
risers, the wooden the wooden stands and everything. So, yeah. So both an inquiry and an inquest were held after the fire. So again, it being England, it works a little differently than it does in the U.S. We have an investigation. So the inquiry, I think, was more like the investigation. The inquiry was led by the most British-sounding human being ever, Sir Oliver Popplewell. <laughs> Popplewell. <laughs> Popplewell. Like popple, as in the popples, like the old old toy. Yeah. Yeah. And he was a former. Sir, Sir Oliver to the floor. Sir Oliver Popple. <laughs> oh, it hurts even better. He was a former cricket player. Of course he was. <laughs> and British judge. <laughs> Another sport where if we had to break, I understand nothing. Oh my nothing, god! Nothing. I have no idea about cricket. I keep seeing these because I subscribe to a couple sports channels on YouTube, and I keep seeing these ads for there's going to be some sort of international cricket championship coming up, and I'm like. Oh, the ICC. Was that? <laughs> Making that up. I keep seeing it though, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to watch it. Like, like, please stop playing that ad. <laughs> if rugby is an enigma, then cricket is oh, like a geez, fucking it, sphinx. Well, I would, yeah, I would maybe reverse those, but it's like a mystery wrapped in an enigma, <laughs> like hidden inside of a riddle. That's what cricket <laughs> is to me. <laughs> So, I, I know days. I, I know games can last for days. I, yes, I've, I've, I've heard I've that as well. That yeah. So the finding in the inquest, or sorry, inquiry, was that the fire was indeed caused by the quote accidental lighting of debris end quote under the stand. Regardless of who started the fire, we didn't start the fire. Uh, the <laughs> the bulk of the blame was put on the stadium and not the individual. It was thought to be an accident, sure, but that wouldn't yeah. have ended up causing the problem that did if it hadn't been for the stadium not cleaning up their shit. After the inquiry, building new wooden stands in any soccer stadium in England uh, was banned, and all existing wooden stands were deemed unsafe, and in the meantime, smoking was banned from any wooden stand. So, like, fuck this shit, you know. The stadium had also been well aware of the garbage under the stands and the fact that it was dangerous because it was flammable under the wooden seats. I mean, anyone would know that. So they they found the stadium stadium owners, the owners of the football club, the owners of the stadium, to be primarily at fault, basically. In July of 1985, the coroner's inquest resulted in a cause of death of death by misadventure. So, death by misadventure means, I believe, um, Keith Moon's cause of death was technically called death by misadventure. It means that a death was primarily accidental, but resulted from a voluntary risk taken by the decedent. So, like, like overdoses could be considered death by misadventure. yeah. So this didn't sit well with people. You didn't think it was going to kill you, but you knew that it could. Yeah, which kind? Would you think that going to a soccer game could kill you in Europe? Yeah, fire. Well, I mean, (laughs) by fire, no. Jokingly, yeah, but not really. I mean, you're just going to see a sport game. How are you taking your life into your own hands? No, 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 no jokes. Jokes aside. Okay. You know, there's that's that's kind of bullshit. And and yes, you shouldn't go to a sporting event. Well, you shouldn't go to any public event 
like with a thought like, oh, there's a chance I could die here. You like, wouldn't. Yeah. You should be able to not. Yeah. So that that was the whole point. And and so because of this finding, um, this verdict gave gave rise to a test case, which is like a legal action that would set precedent for a legal issue. And the accusations, so the test case uh, were, had accusations of negligence against the football club and against the Bradford City Council and was brought by David Britton, one of the police officers who saved people in the fire, and Susan Fletcher, a woman whose husband, son, brother-in-law, and father-in-law all died in the fire. Oh, my God. Her other son, Jeez. who we'll mention in a bit, did survive, but was there. In February 1987, the judge in the case, Sir Joseph Cantley, agreed that a lack of concern for the safety of the spectators was indeed the primary cause of the fire and found that the club was two-thirds responsible and this, the county council was one-third responsible. But at that point, the county council had been dissolved, so they were no longer an entity anyway. Sir Joseph Cantley said um, of the board of the directors of the club, quote, they were at fault, but the fault was that no one in authority seemed seems ever to have properly appreciated the real gravity of this fire hazard, and consequently, no one gave it the attention it certainly ought to have received. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's like, you should, you knew, you should have done something, Garbage you can didn't. catch on You're fire. You're fucking negligent, yeah. And mm-hmm. if the garbage catches on fire, then that means the wooden stands will catch on fire, and that's a... Yeah. This thing was a giant fireplace. Yeah. And and they let it, and they knew it, and they let it go. So because this, the test case, you know, was a success, basically, it was like, yeah, the, the club's fucking negligent. More than 150 claims were brought by the injured or families of the deceased, though exact, exact amounts of awards weren't released. You know, a lot of times that's not disclosed. It was reported that the total compensation paid out was up to 20 million pounds, with the payout being covered by the club's insurance. Sure. Yeah. You know. Victims and surviving relatives were also paid from an appeals fund, which is like a fundraiser, that had raised upward of four million pounds. So there was some money paid out. Nothing is ever going to compensate anyone for a human no, life. But but at least there was some form of like literally we we can't do anything but pay you at this well, point. Well, if it's uh, I mean in this case it doesn't seem like it because it seems like most of the victims were elderly people or younger people well half right that doesn't mean all that's true but i mean what if the husband that has the eighty thousand dollar a year job dies in this fire like what like all of a sudden you're not only is your husband gone but your financial absolutely that's gone too absolutely absolutely Mm -hmm. there are there are financial ramifications yeah that's not what you initially think of if you think of oh god what happens if my loved one dies you're not thinking oh look at all the financial shit i'm gonna have to deal with of course not (laughs) or you are that's why you've hired that's why you've hired hired somebody to kill them But, but, but it, yes, but if somebody is dies very, it is suddenly, consequence, yeah. there is a financial impact to that. Absolutely. That's that's very true. Especially if they're, well, 
Red all, always, if or, they're a work, just a working adult. Well, or even yeah. in, like say it was a, a stay-at-home parent. Now you have to cover childcare. Yeah, I mean, it. Everyone has a financial impact. Uh, oddly and morbidly, and maybe I shouldn't bring this up. Children have a positive financial impact when they die. <laughs> That's horrible. That's, up to, That's, up That's to you. dark. <laughs> it's kind of true. Future earnings, though. Future earnings. You said it. I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) I love how I separate myself from all the politically, my perception of politically incorrect things you say, but then I say that children are less expensive to kill. That's horrible. So if your parents (laughs) died in a fire and you survived, that means it's better? No, (laughs) no, no, other way around. I'm I'm, I'm kidding. (laughs) No. No. See, those are the places. That's that, horrible. Those are the places that you go. <laughs> oh, again, a human life cannot have a price put upon it. No. And well, here's another thing: mental distress and suffering from any survivors for anyone who dies. That's also not really compensatable. Compen- no. Compensatory. 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 Thank you. Somebody's had too much of the ten percent. <laughs> I'm over-compensatory. Yes, you are. <laughs> All right. You, you, you do realize you have to drive back from the airport tomorrow. <laughs> yes, I do. I can get us there. I'll be fine. We're not leaving in like two I know, hours or I know. anything. Thank I fucking Christ for that. Yes, there will be some sleep. Not a ton of it, but. All right, so now for the aftermath. A memorial service took place in July 1985 on the site of the disaster, so at the field, the day before they started cleaning up the site, and it was also the day before the Popplewell Inquiry released its report. A total of 28 police officers, and this is, so this is, this is, I I wrote this weirdly, this whole wrap-up, but separate of that, separate of the memorial, A total of 28 police officers and 22 spectators received commendations or award for their bravery while saving others from the fire. And you can see this in the footage, too. People running back into the stands. And just yanking people out. Absolutely. All the cops were, but um, even civilians were as well. Probably just going in, like, okay, I feel somebody. Yeah. Get them out. Yeah, or... Yeah, just... Or... Or seeing people, because in the footage mm-hmm. you can see people in the stands smoking and burning. It's mm. it's pretty bad footage. So anyway, Valley Parade was rebuilt. Obviously, I said you know they're still in existence to better safety standards. Obviously, as one would hope, like concrete and steel. <sighs> uh, it was reopened in December of 1986, so it took about a year oh, and a half. Okay, okay. Uh, the football club was able to continue sure. their operations at other um, locations. Well, none of their None of their players or management or anything passed. So right from what I could tell, that's yeah. true. Just that former chairman. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have continued to develop and modernize the stadium, which is obviously, like I said, still open today. It now has a capacity of twenty five thousand one hundred thirty six, and apparently, like, looks nothing like it did back then. Sure, so you almost can't, it's almost like a brand new stadium. Yeah. And they probably wanted to erase whatever memory of... a little bit. Yeah. So you can't even tell that, you know, A, they probably kind of somewhat erased that it ever happened because it looks so different. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you'd have to yeah. look up what it used to look like before, and mm-hmm. you'd be like, Arr. Now, shout out to um, our listener, Emily, because I kind of hinted at this in a tweet uh, response to her today. Um, she was talking about um, burn medical advances or something of the sort in, in Burns. And she was also talking about a Ken Burns documentary. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> um, but... This this I found like an in, very interesting and also like a little bit of a bright spot in this whole story. Many of those injured with burns were treated by a doctor named David Sharp. Inspired by his work with these victims, Professor Sharp opened the Bradford Burns Unit, which is now known as the Plastic Surgery and Burns Research Unit. It's a research facility in the University of Bradford where experimental treatments are used, were used, and they continue to develop treatments. Um, but it started because of the survivors of Bradford City Fire, the Bradford City Stadium Fire. He was basically running experiments on these people. Like, some of them were even like, yeah, we were fucking guinea pigs, but it led to some real, real and real good advances sure. in um, burn treatment. His work included creating a device known as the Bradford Sling, which immobilizes the arm of a burn victim, as most slings do. But it, it also like applies even pressure throughout the limb to reduce swelling and promote healing. So it created a, like a whole new device. Uh, Professor Sharp began designing the device after many of the Bradford City survivors had burns on their arms and their hands. Sure. Yeah. So... So at least something worthwhile as far as research and advances came from it. I mean, you got to find the bright spot where you can in this shit, you know. In 2015, survivor Martin Fletcher. So remember I mentioned Susan Fletcher, who was one of the people who brought the test case? Yes. Um, so her, like most of her family died, but her son Martin survived the, the fire, even though like his dad and his uncle and everybody died. He published a book called 56, The Story of the Bradford Fire. Now, here's something for you. Martin was present at Bradford City and survived. Martin was also present at Hillsborough. Oh, you're shitting me. And survived. Oh, my God. Or I don't know if he was actually anywhere near the the place where that was a concern, the portion of the stands where it was a concern. Maybe he was just, he was described as a witness to Hillsborough. So he was there. He was at the game. Can you fucking imagine this poor guy? I'm would gonna, you ever go to another football game? <laughs> would you ever go out in public again? <laughs> well, I, I mean, mean really, at the very just, least, would you the ever, games. Well, would you ever be want to be, feel comfortable being around even a crowd of 100 people? Crowds would, crowds would absolutely. Crowds already are a little scary to me because, because of all these crowd disasters that can happen. Crowds are inherently a little dangerous. In some respects. If something goes wrong, they certainly can be. Yes. I mean... But, yeah, if you've already, like, survived one where that wiped out most of your family. Yeah. And then saw another one, wouldn't you just be like, motherfucker. Uh, yeah, I'm never going to, yeah. I, yeah. It would be so rough. So, hats off to Martin Fletcher for going through all that shit. And not only surviving, but being like, let me look into this. So, he wrote this book, and it was, um, like, some people called it, 
like a brilliant piece of investigative journalism because okay. he investigated the Bradford City Club and its owner and chairman Stafford Higginbotham. Uh-huh. No, no relation to Betsy, I'm sure. He <laughs> discovered a total of eight fires in Higginbotham's businesses in the 18 years leading of up to Bradford City. Of course. Now, related, tangentially related to all of this, Sir Oliver Popplewell, the leader of the inquiry into the disaster, commented in a letter to a newspaper in 2011 on hearings about the Hillsborough tragedy, because which we'll get into when we cover it. That shit dragged on for years and years and years and years. Um, the Hillsborough hearings and who was at fault and all that. Forever, like it only recently has sort of been resolved. Say it dragged on for like twenty five years or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, commenting on Hillsborough, Popplewell controversially stated, "Quote: The citizens of Bradford behaved with quiet dignity and great courage. They did not harbor conspiracy theories. They did not seek endless further inquiries." End quote. So he was basically saying. That the Hillsborough, like, survivors and um, families of the victims and everything were not, like, should have just left well enough alone and were being instigators or whatever. And they should look at the the Bradford City people who are so much better about it or whatever. Hmm. So he was criticizing talk victims, about, basically. Talk, talk about too soon in, in either instance. It, well, or just a terrible idea. Mm. Martin Fletcher responded by saying he and his mother both still had a lot of questions about the disaster and that he found Popplewell's report, quote, a poor piece of work. So he's he struck back by saying, yeah, well, you did a that's shit a, work that's a very, yourself. That's a very royal, nice British way of <laughs> saying, very British way fuck of saying, that motherfucker. I'm and saying, if fuck I, you. And if I ever see him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. A fire investigator named Nigel Adams agreed with Fletcher, and he called for a new inquiry, pointing out that, like, look, fire investigation was in its infancy at that time. We've got a lot more advances now. There's more you can you can come up with potentially now. Plus, he said there was a lack of scientific testing to determine the source of the fire, like that they just didn't do a very thorough job. And they carried out the investigation or the in- inquiry or no, not inquiry. Uh, yeah, inquiry. No, that's the coroner inquest. Sorry. Yes, <laughs> inquiry too quickly that they just rushed the whole thing. So that's what it seemed like to me from the get go. It happened quick when it was you were like May to July. So you're, yeah, you're like, oh yeah, they they said somebody dropped. I'm like, okay, that that's a very good possibility. But well, it and, seems and just what this fire investigator is seems saying too easy that you get to that that quickly. What the, this fire investigator seems to be saying is like, okay, what's your proof? Yeah, that they were just prove kind of it exactly. Yeah. yeah. In January of 2017, so just almost two years ago, the Independent Police Complaints Commission declined to reopen the investigation. So as it stands right now. It's just done. And it will probably remain that way because it sounds like they've almost got like a brand new stadium. So what could you... I didn't show you these earlier. You ready to see the pictures? Yeah, I guess. Holy shit. 
So wow. the first picture is just of the stand completely on fire. You see that s- smoke? I can see a dude on fire in the second picture. Yep. The 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 footage is worse. That's way worse than I was thinking. I, I was not thinking yeah. it was that bad at all. It was very bad. Because, like, in my mind, I was thinking a section. Okay, something... We're, we're talking about, like, we're ta- up we're to talking a 30,000 But we were talking capacity. about almost, like, the whole side of a building yes. in that photo. Uh, the, the whole long side of the field, yeah. all of those stands, yes. Fuck. Yeah. So, the for for those who want to on YouTube, there is, like, if you just Google... Um, Bradford City fire, the footage will show up. It is very disturbing, and yes, you will see people on fire. You'll see people panicking and, like, vaulting over the wall. It's, like, I'm pretty good at not being affected by shit like that. Video is a little more disturbing than, than just disturbing pictures. But I, I definitely, like, covered my mouth a couple times, which is my version of shit. Um... So if you get triggered by that, definitely don't look that up. But I mean, it, it's it was it was awful. It was really awful. Yeah. So that was the story of what they sometimes call the forgotten football disaster, um, the Bradford City Stadium fire. <sighs> I we'll do Hillsboro. Yes. But Hillsboro, the thing that stuck out to me so much about Hillsboro is that. There are two really bad things that happened. Well, let's not and go into I, No, I know. I, I, I will not, but I'm just saying. But with this, it just seems... It's like within four minutes, the whole fucking... Because I'm Half picturing... the stadium, basically. <clears throat> the stadium I've definitely been in more times than any other stadium is PNC Arena. I've probably mm-hmm. been in that place what, what's close to 100 times. Uh, for a basketball game, it's like 12. 20 or 21,000. Hockey? hockey is like 18.5. Okay. So it was potentially slightly bigger than that. Yeah. Um, but I'm picturing, like in my mind, when you're talking about, in my mind, when you were talking about a section, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, it's this section. Like, no, this fire would be like if I was sitting where we normally sit, like in the upper bowl, mm-hmm. and I'm looking across. Like half the stadium. And the, the other half of the stadium yeah. is on fire. I'd be like, yeah. what the fuck? It would never happen in that in that way because it's all the all, fingers crossed. Yes, but the all the Not the seating and stuff is all um, flame retardant plastic, and it's all concrete. Like it's each, not each, it's, it's not, not a going to box, no. that's for sure. Could there be a fire in the stadium? Yes. Yeah, but it's not going to spread like that. No, not, this it's, the like, reason this happened is because there was just so much fuel for this fire. Yeah. It, had, garbage, it had garbage, garbage and old wood. It had paper, it had wood, and it had flammable tar Jesus paper, basically. Christ, with the the shit yeah, that was on the waterproofing back over. Yeah. Um. Fuck. Yeah. And the um, if you do watch the footage, the 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 sportscaster, like oh, the I'm sure it's... commentator, is still having to basically explain what's going on, and it is a little bit of an oh the humanity. I was just gonna say it sounds like his role became very similar to the radio call of the Hindenburg. Yep, and I'm sure as a sportscaster, like except there were way the more people involved with yeah. this. Yeah, I mean we're talking about thousands of people are in the yes. stadium. Yes. With with the Hindenburg, we're talking about hundreds of people. Right. You know. 
not that, an, that not that that's better, but it's right. But it's better. <laughs> yeah. It's you God, know, yeah. It's yeah. The 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 number of people at risk in the Hindenburg was way less than the number of risk that's true. number of people at risk in this. That's true. Um, fucking and Christ. and I mean just you know thankfully uh, there there wasn't a fence separating people from the pitch so they could escape that i mean they 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 think they think the the um death toll could have been well over what uh, because if people this were was 56 con- liverpool or i'm sorry uh um 85 hillsborough 19. was uh 96 so they they were like if there had been a fence at bradford city we're talking hundreds mm-hmm. it could have been way Probably worse more. Yeah. yeah and because in that in that stadium, people were confined to a certain area. They would have been if yeah. they had, yeah. I mean, they were confined from the back, yeah. unfortunately, but the people in front, at least, could are, get out. Yeah. Oh man. So you excited about going to Green Bay? <laughs> <laughs> no, your exits. I, 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 I am going to. Uh, immediately like inspect like is, are these stands made of concrete i'm sure i'm sure they are <laughs> i well i'm sure lambo has been well up. it had a facelift like five or six years ago okay. so it's it still has the same look but more but with a modern yeah so that's good very good yeah so should we um should we float it out there as to our catchphrase or uh, oh, potential catchphrase. Yes. Let us know what you uh, you guys. Let us know we'll, what you we'll, think. We'll put up a twiddle pour. A twiddle pour. Yes. <laughs> I did say that on purpose. Good. Like Good. A Twitter poll. A Twitter poll as to whether you think that you know, kind of be. Oh, oh, we saw Karen in Georgia last week. Yeah, we mentioned that in the. Yeah, but we didn't mention it after. Oh, this that's is true. After. Yeah, it is after. It was we fun. Didn't, we didn't meet him. We didn't have VIP, but no. it was super fun to it was see a lot them of fun. in person. And the stories so they fun. told were crazy, fucked up, shit. And they, of course, both involved incest. Yeah, they did. They did. It was a lot for those murderinos out there. It was the Lawson family murders. Yeah, obviously, look that up. North Carolina and the Bad Blood murders. Mm. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, super fun. They were hilarious. But you know, their uh, their catchphrase is "Stay sexy, don't get murdered," or SSDGM. <laughs> uh, so we were talking about whether our KYE. No, you're right. No, you're right. <laughs> doesn't have Whether the same. hashtag should be. No, you're right. Doesn't, doesn't have the same ring as uh, SSDGM. But you are right that it's both a catchphrase and a public service announcement. Yes. Because when you sit down in a movie theater, no, your exits. When you go to a stadium, no, your exits. When you go to a nightclub, go to, no, yes. no, your exits. Especially when you go to a nightclub. Stay near your exits, too, if possible. Yeah, not Those the worst idea cases. either. Yeah. And why did I fucking want to hightail it out of that four stories Bill, <laughs> Bill's Backers bar in, in Nashville? Knowing what you know now, do you think I was correct in wanting to get out of that place? No. Because, I, I mean, I... The elevator was for staff only, and there was only one rickety elevator. Otherwise, it was fucking stairs <laughs> in an old wooden building. We were on, like, the fourth or fifth story, and it was packed with people. Did you not see that that was a crowd disaster waiting to happen? We were on the third story. We were on, like, the it, 16th. No. <laughs> we were high up there. We were there on the top a, level. I there think was it only, was four. No, there was only three stories was to that building. Four. No. Well, either way, 
I fell fine. You obviously did not. Because I've been into disasters longer than you have. <laughs> yes, well, that's what happens when, when your grandfather is a fire chief, I'm well, sure. Well, it helps. Yeah. <laughs> it helps with the anxiety in the, in the worst way possible. Yeah, and by helps, it's more like, yeah, it contributes to. All right, so I'm almost should... done with my 10 percenter, yes. and we have to get up early tomorrow. Yes, we do. To drive you to the airport, so know your exits, people. And this has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.